If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. You want a title for this morning's message? Driving hell out of our territory. <coughs> Last week we looked at raising the sword, drawing the sword, raising the shield. This week we're looking at driving hell out of our territory. All this is under the living the days of heaven here on earth. How many of you know, unless the word is proclaimed, God doesn't move. God follows his own word. Hello? This is why it's important that God's word is proclaimed in your hearing. This is where faith comes and this is where God begins to act. How can people get saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus if no one speaks? That's what happens. So, you know, we, last week we looked at heaven has to manifest on the earth. Heaven's not just a place where we go when we die. Heaven is a place that, has to, that, that needs to be lived on the earth. Now, for some people to say, how can that be? Well, listen up. Because heaven was never meant just to be a place that you go to when you die. Heaven was meant to be lived on earth. You will experience heaven here before we get over there. Amen? It's got to... Begin to remove. And when I use the phrase Gadarean last week, I'm going to read you a scripture in a minute. Heaven has to invade the Gadarean's territory. Gadaria, Gadarenes are powers and influences that attack your life every day and my life every day. For George, struggled in physically with his health. That's a Gadarene harassing his territory. It's limiting, it's stopping him, it's containing him. For the last, I don't know how many months it is, Pat's been contained by this sickness. And all those, like Danielle and, and others, Jim Barr, they're all being contained by this kind of sickness. So that's clear evidence that something has come upon their territory, into their life. When I use the word territory, I mean their life. It's bringing them containment. It's bringing them, making them miserable. It's oppressing them. It's oppressing them. It's depressing them. It's making people miserable. It's taking away the joy of life. So that, that my Bible tells me that when that happens, some, a greater power then has to rise up and knock it on the head. That's the same power that Christ has given us. How many of you believe that? Some time ago, not so long ago, God told us that we were to cross over. As a church, prophetically, God was telling us it's, a, it's time to leave one place and go to a new place. How many, of you believe, how many of you remember that? Some did listen and some didn't. As a result, they stayed on the shores of, of safety, predictability, mediocrity. Whereas for others, they stepped, they stepped away from familiarity and stepped into uncertainty. Because Christianity is more about uncertainty I want to say uncertainty, that's why we need faith. <clears throat> when we say uncertain, we don't know. It's not that we don't know anything, we do. We know Christ, we know he's holding us, we know he's, taught, he's the one leading, we're following. So it's not that we're uncertain that we don't know what's going to happen. We just, we, we're trusting him that everything will work out the way he said it. Amen? There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. We haven't got that kind of uncertainty. We've got hope. We've got faith, we've got love, we've got knowledge, we've got a Christ. We know the one who's in charge. We know how to trust him. We know that when he speaks, we know how to follow. So our uncertainty is we don't know where it will take us, how long it will last, but we know he's leading. So as we, as we trust him through the Holy Spirit, he brings us to the other side. But that period of letting go, giving in and trusting him, that's the part where faith is needed. Yes? Where the world wants to know every step. It wants to know every step before, during. So it doesn't need faith. It needs certainties. So we've got evidence that what we don't see, but we know on the inside. Where the, where the world wants to see it on the outside before they believe. We believe to see. They want to see before they believe. There's a difference. If I see it, I believe it. No, you won't, you liar. Bible tells us people see but still don't believe. Healings, some people see healings but still don't believe. 
Some people receive healing and still don't believe. And the evidence is in their own body. So we know that healings alone does not bring people to Christ. But what it does do, they can't deny him. Amen? It's amazing. People don't really pay attention until the crocodiles are biting. When you fall in the lake and the crocodiles are biting your backside, that's when you realize I'm in trouble. That's when you realize I need something greater to get me out. Yeah? And then people begin to listen a little bit more intently because now they need it. But when you're not in trouble, blase, don't need it. But God's trying to arrest our attention so we listen to him because he's trying to tune us to heaven's frequency. That's why when, he, when the word goes out, it carries a frequency and everything in that environment has to come to that frequency. This is why the word, this is why I keep speaking on this subject, because until our hearts are completely tuned, we can't move on. Yes? So God, keep, God keeps impressing upon my heart, keep speaking about it. Don't let it go. They're not yet tuned in. They're not yet set towards this frequency. Keep declaring it. Keep praying for people. Let people see things. And even when people see things, people say, well, it's okay. That's him. That's not me. I'm still sick. You can't win with some people. Ten people can get, can get healed. But because they didn't, oh, well, it's not me. me. So when I get healed, well, that was nice. Oh, please. You want to bang on the head. When people are in trouble, it suddenly exposes how much of God they don't have. Because their actions then, they run here, there and everywhere. But when you do know God and you're in trouble, you know he's our anchor. He's an anchor. And it's not until you're in trouble you discover him as an anchor. It's true. When everything's going great, you know, and you're flying everywhere, it's the anchor that stops you going off course. Amen? So, when Jesus told us to, let me read you a scripture, put everything in context. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus, he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. So who followed? The disciples. Who's the disciples? You and me. So he got into the boat. Now listen, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples, now why would you sleep in the midst of a storm? Test number one. When you can sleep in the midst of a storm, then you know you're in a good place. Amen? I don't know many, I mean, I've crossed on a ferry to Ireland. When I used to play a lot of football in Ireland, every year we used to go over, and that ferry crossing was pretty tough. Going from Holyhead to Ireland, it was, it was pretty choppy. And in front of the boat, boom, boom, like that. And you're thinking, I couldn't have slept. My stomach was in five different places. But here's Jesus, completely asleep, completely gone. And the disciples are now freaking out. Listen to what they say. The disciples went and woke him. That's a bad sign straight away. You woke me up. I'm going to be ticked off now because you woke me up. But he didn't. Why are you so afraid? Then, they, then he got up, rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. So Jesus has power to speak to the environment. Jesus has the power to speak to the environment. Nothing's gonna, nothing is going to enter his territory. He's got the power to push everything that's trying to cause disturbance, containment, limitation. He can, he's got the power to push it back. That's the same power that's in you and me. That's the same power. So then he says, and it was completely calm. Why? Because when the greater power turns up, the lesser power has to, has to bow. The power. Can you imagine? How many sailors could have been saved if they'd have only had that power to rebuke the wind and waves? Can you imagine? How many ships have gone down and how many sailors have been lost to bad weather? And here's Jesus. You. Calm down. Why? Because the wind comes from his storehouse. Read your Bible. 
The wind comes from his own storehouse. So without the wind, you've got no waves. Yeah? So if I can control the wind, the water will just obey. Because the, wa the waves, water, it's just the waves' power is the wind. So he rebukes it. Then he says this, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed. I bet they were. And asked, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But first of all, they got in the boat and they left their side. Whatever was going on in their life, whatever they were up to, they left it and got into a boat to make a new journey. To make a new journey. So when I analyze this, we as a church are making a fourfold journey. And the first stage was to get into the boat and go to the other side. That was the assignment God gave us as a church. Get in the boat and go to the other side. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. This reveals what you're attached to. If I say to Carol, leave what you're doing and go over there, what she's doing at that point will be revealed whether it's, she feels it's more important. Yes? She will now have to make a choice based on what I'm saying. She will now determine that what I'm saying is either of great importance or of lesser importance. Yes? It will also reveal what she's, listen, what she's emotionally attached to, physically attached to, psychologically attached to, and spiritually she's attached to. Because we're all attached to something, someone in life. Yes? We're all emotionally attached to something, whether it's memories. Yeah? When you, when you start thinking in a certain, about a certain person or about something, it releases a certain emotion which tells you that you're still attached to it. Yes? Some emotions are not good. Some are. So the ones that are, you can keep them and they bring smiles upon your face. Amen? But the ones that are not, they bring containment to your life, fear to your life. Yes? They torment you. So when Jesus says, get in the boat, he's, he's trying to see what you're attached to. And he, and he gives you a command to do something so that he can see what's holding you. Does that make sense? Unless he gives you a command to do something... You'll keep on doing what you're doing and you'll never be tested. Your heart will never be exposed. So when Jesus says, follow me, how many people don't follow him? So what they're saying is, is that what I'm doing, Jesus, is far more important than what you're saying to me. Yes? So Jesus, occasionally in your life, he'll say to you, right, leave this place. In other words, right now in your life, at this point in your life, Follow me. Take another step. You're familiar with this point in your life. You're familiar with the God in your life. Take another step and begin to let go of those things. It's not always easy, but it's important. I've had to let go of a lot of things in my life. Why? Because the moment I stop following is the moment he goes ahead and leaves me. Because he won't wait forever for me. He's merciful to me, but he won't wait forever. Yeah? People will not make spiritual journey because they're attracted to the wrong things. Do you know that? Matthew 4, verse 21. Listen to this. Matthew 4, 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. So he's already spoken to some disciples. Now he's speaking to others. This is before they were disciples. He's now recruiting his gang of you know, sons, brothers. Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. How difficult do you think it, it could have been for those boys to have left their father? Was their, was their father... A, the right attachment. He is. He's a father. 
The father is a right attachment. It's not an unnatural attachment. It's a right attachment. But there comes a time when Jesus says, follow me. He's not saying, listen, the same God who says, honor your father is not now saying, dishonor him. But he's saying, a time's come now. You're raised, you're a big boy. It's time to follow a different path. And immediately, their response was to follow him. It's a challenge. Time and time again, we see in Scripture, Elijah, Elisha did the same thing. He went and burnt his ox. He burnt everything that would keep him in his past. He burnt it, celebrated at his last meal with his mother and father, and then went and followed Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was going past, and he said, follow me, and he begins to follow him, and he knows that the moment you follow, you're now beginning to discover destiny. It's not until you follow something, someone, you begin to discover destiny. If you don't follow someone, you never discover destiny. Or you never discover the dangers down the road. Because, you know, I followed a lot of things in life and they got me in trouble. And then another voice came and said, follow me. I will show you, I will make you a fisher of men. So the one who calls me has the ability to make something with my life. Do something with my life. But unless you let go of something, you'll never discover what it can make you. Yes? See, most Christians want to sit there and do nothing, but they never, ever discover their destiny. Your destiny is not come to church. Your destiny is to be church. Hello? You know, materialism, safety, tradition are all reasons why not to let go. But you know, all those reasons are the same territory that the enemy comes in and steals. <coughs> Don't say, think about it. You can't protect your material goods without concern. So you have an alarm, but you're still concerned. You know, an alarm doesn't always stop a thief. Believe me, I've had a house burgled. It just alerts people that someone's trying to get in. But there's so many alarms going off, you expect someone else to be concerned and run to your aid because your alarm's going off. Well, there's a million of them going off in our street. Yeah? And if it's not a house alarm, it's a car alarm. So your alarm is not going to save your goods. But what I can never understand, I can never ever for the life of me understand, is when people become more protective towards history and tradition than they do towards destiny. That freaks me out. People would rather stay in a church and see it go down the pan than leave because they need to grow. I started this thing. I, I've been here at the beginning of the foundation of the world. As it goes down, I'll go down with it and salute. You're a fool. Destiny is more important than history and tradition. You've got your tradition. You've got your sentiment, your morals. You've got in the wrong things. This place can go tonight. As long as you remain, we'll meet in a different building. We won't cry about this one. Some people say, give up the building, you can have the people. I say, you're a fool. Give me the people, I'll burn the building. And if you burn the building, we're insured. The building is not the issue. We thank God for a building. We do. We don't take it for granted. Our forefathers labored for this. But guess what? I'm laboring for you. We didn't labor for this. We labored for people. People is our resource. So when Jesus says leave, get on the other side, go to the other side, he's going to challenge you in every way. Yeah? So these boys prepared their nets, Jesus called them, and immediately, when? Immediately, they left their boats and their father and followed. You can imagine the father saying, where are you going? Hey, you boys, in, 
Sorry, a higher calling's come. Why? A frequency grabbed them. A frequency grabbed them. Now, when Jesus Christ is preached in somebody's midst, if that frequency doesn't grab them, then I'm just a man speaking words. But if heaven, if you're not seeking God, then that frequency won't grab you. It's something grab those boys to say, Dad, we're out of here. Yeah? When people are more connected to history, tradition, they're in trouble. And that's what we've got in our nation. Churches are more connected to their tradition than they are to the God. And you, it's in you and it's in me. It just needs God. It just needs a new command to reveal it. Just needs a new command. It's amazing. The next point, you came from cross uh, to get in the boat. The next stage was to cross over. Getting in the boat was only the first step. Crossing over was the second step. And in the crossing over, just just be, just a bit, just thinking for a minute. You've been in church all these, all these years. Have a look to see those who started out with you, whether they're still with you. Think about that. When I got saved, we were all together. There was a band of us. Where have they all gone? Well, slowly but surely, they've all gone different places. Where have they gone? Are they still going home with God? Or as many of them just lost? It's amazing. All the youth group that I started out with, a lot of them seemed very spiritual at the time, but many of them today are no longer walking with God. They left the shore, but somewhere on the journey, they got out the boat. They got out the boat. When the storm came up, they bailed. And those people who, when you look around to see those people, that's why I value Phil's relationship. Because he's the one that stayed in the boat and I stayed in the boat. I didn't, I didn't say to him, Phil, stay in the boat. He didn't say it to me. We stayed. So the same God that's got a hold of my life, I can see he's got a hold of his life. Right? And if I got out the boat, he's the first one that's going to say, what are you doing, you wallet? Get back in now. And he's going to come and get me back in the boat. Why? Because he's just as committed as I am to finish the journey. You need people like that in your boat who's committed that when you act stupidly, they'll come and get you. Not everybody who's in your boat will come and get you. They'll let you drown. I'm going to say, it's your fault. You backslid. Yeah, but at least throw a, a life a rope out to them. Yeah? They tell you in first aid, don't put yourself in danger. Make sure you and the patient are safe. Right? And if the patient looks in danger, like if it's got hold of an electric cable, don't go and touch it. Get a piece of wood and kind of shove them. Because you're going to put your, if you're hurt, then you're no good to no one. Right? So if your friend is in a bad place, you've got to be careful. But at least you can throw a rope. Amen? Because Jesus says in the New Testament, when you go and restore someone, be careful that you're not taken. So despite some people calling themselves Christians, even in the same church, not everybody's in the boat here. And then, let's face it, there are many different types of boats. Some people, you think you're in a boat, and some people's on a cruiser. They expect you to serve them with pina coladas, all that kind of stuff. They expect you to serve and wait on them because they, in their mind, they think this is a love cruiser. And everyone should just love them. They don't love anyone. They don't think about anyone, but we're on the good ship lollipop. Yeah? Some people are on a canal boat. Got to keep walking, getting out, opening the lock, getting, never really going anywhere. Spending a lot of time doing nothing. Yeah? Other people are in a battleship. They know they're built for war. Other people are just in that little sailing dinghy, fishing, time to spare. And if a fish comes along, wonderful. If it didn't, we didn't catch anything. It doesn't matter, case that I You've got to be 
understanding what kind of boat you're in and what are other people's expectations around you. Because if you're not in the same boat, you're not going the same way. The problem is, is when a lot of congregational members expect the pastor to change the church to suit their idea. It's like, no, 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 this is not the good ship lollipop. This is not the Titanic. We have one voyage, right? But our ship is still going to be intact when we get to the other side. Yeah? If we're meant to go underwater, God would have given us a submarine. Crossing over will reveal your depth of faith, your commitment, your love to what God is putting in our hearts. Yeah? You know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you, if you recognize this, but storms do have a habit of sweeping over your life. And they come up suddenly when you least expect them. Whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's psychological, emotional, spiritual. Storms are a part of life. We can't ignore them, they're there. We've got to, but what it will reveal is our attitude in the midst of the storm. And it's okay. I'm okay with the fact that a storm's coming. And I don't use it as, as an opportunity to have a go at God. If you love me, you won't send a storm. He said, no, son, it's because I do love you. I'm trying to purify you show you there are some things in your heart and life that's not good so when I get that mentality I say Lord thank you for this storm show me what I need to know and show me quickly I don't need to prolong this thing if, it, if I can get through this thing in a week a day great but if stupidity keeps me for a year I'm in trouble so show me so when you cross over to the other side you still haven't finished your journey so you come to stage three and that's where we're at right now. And stage three is, there's a gathering waiting for you on the other side. Because now as you've crossed over, you left one place, call this familiarity, call it safety. You got in a boat, it revealed certain things, it revealed those who were with you, it revealed, what, it revealed the, the faith that you got to go through the storm. But when you get to the other side, there's an assignment this is why he told you to get in the boat. You see, George and Anne, only just been coming to the church, they left where they left. That, to them, that's getting in their boat. They might not have had that language for that. For any visitor here this morning, and you're thinking, well, I'm just eyeing you up this morning. Great, we're attractive. But uh, is this where you're supposed to be? So if you get in this boat and you cross over, we are a church what's got an assignment. So if you want a love ship got lollipop, guess what? Move on. This is not the love, the love ship lollipop. This is the battleship going somewhere because on the other side there's a gadarene. A gadarene is a demonic territory that the heaven has to invade. Amen? So if you're feeling love me, love me, love me, I'll give you the Beatles song, love me, love me, do. We've got to get in the boat, cross over, go to the other side because there are wars to fight, giants to kill. Cities to take, we're crossing over. Crossing over isn't a one event. It's many times you'll cross over in your life because the moment you become familiar with the territory, you have to cross over again. Yeah? The reality of life is everyone's got to pass through something at some time. Some pass through cancer. Some pass through family troubles. Some pass through personal crisis. The issue is, at some point in your life, the Gadarean will wait in on the other side for you to stop you progressing. It wants to take your life early. And it only takes your life if you're going somewhere. It's not interested in people. It's not interested in a lot of Christians because you're going nowhere. You're not a danger if you're going nowhere. Yeah? You see, take football supporters. They're brain dead. Football supporters are totally brain dead. Why? Any other realm of life, they want the money back. But in football, they put up with it. Because loyalty kicks in and blinds them. So the club treat you like they want. They'll raise the prices. They won't give you the service you want. And the fan goes, I'll support you evermore. <laughs> Dumb. 
Vote with your money. Don't go. Watch it on telly. They don't think like that. And that's how the enemy treats you half of the time. He knows you're loyal to stupidity. So he'll treat you the way you want, and stupidity will become your grave. We'll put it on a grave. Special kind of stupid. There's stupid, and then there's a special kind of stupid. And if you want special kind of stupid, you only have to look at a lot of Christians. Matthew 8, verse 28. He arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarene. Who's this? Jesus and the, those who got in the boat. Two demon-possessed men. Two demon-possessed men came from the tombs. Now, that's freaky enough when two men walk out the graveyard. You know, what the hell are you doing in there? They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So these were an obstacle stopping Jesus and his boys from moving into a territory. Yes? Whenever the church rises up, there is always obstacles. What do you want with us, son of God? So they know who the son of God is. They shouted, have you come here to torture us? And a point, uh, before our appointed time, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Now, why did it say send us into the pigs? Because demons don't need flesh and blood to live. So, and what Jesus was saying, why did Jesus let them go? Because he said, boys, I've not yet gone to the cross, but when I go, you're all coming down. I don't have to just go for two of you. I can take the whole house down. Right? So Jesus wasn't sidetracked. But the point is, these boys wanted to go into the pigs. Why? Because if Jesus could have sent them anywhere he wanted, and he chose to leave them in the territory because he's stronger than they are. He's not bothered who's in the territory because the, the one who's greater is, is more powerful than the ones who are coming against him. Right? So it's not a problem for him. So the, he goes in, he throws them into the pigs, knowing full well that when the pigs die, they'll come back into the territory and find somewhere else and find someone else. Demons operate in atmospheres and on people, but they don't need people to live. The spiritual beings are not flesh and blood. Now, if you were at the bottom of that, that uh, cliff, you could have had a load, a load of ham and bacon sandwiches for free. Now, here's the issue. The demons begged, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Who's the greater one? Right. Who's subservient? Who's begging? Right. Go, they said, and out into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they died in the water. The pigs died, not the demons. So verse, so we come to the next point. So get in the boat, leave the shores, get in the boat, cross over, come to the other side, right? So we're at the point now as a church of we're coming to the other side. We are clearly coming into the other side. Prophetically, there are giants to take, there are wars to fight, cities to take, right? There is oppression, there's depression, there's suppression waiting in our streets. They're there. People are held captive. So when the kingdom begins to advance, the Gadarean rises up, but the church is stronger. But most of the church don't realize that power. So the Gadarean stays there, intimidating people, frightening people. These guys were violent. Now, this week, we've just had a daft, crazed Gadarean walking around the streets of Britain. Right? Was he violent? Was he demon-possessed? It's got to be to do that. And how many people did it take to take him down? Even a police officer get hurt, got hurt. The poor lady, 81 was she? 82? Head. Man, that's barbaric. But that's what happens when demon-possessed Gadareans step in your territory. They're violent. It says there, they were violent. No one could pass through. So the Bible tells us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. So we don't take up the same sword that he did. Our battle is spiritual powers. But we need to recognize that a gathering is in our territory. 
rather than trying to fight the big guy who's been to the gym, who's yielding a sword. Do you know what I do? If there's a big guy stood there yielding a sword, first of all, I try and get out of his way. And if I have to confront him, I'm going to speak to the demon in him. Yeah? If I try and fight in flesh and blood, I'm gone. He's a strong boy. So in Matthew 9, verse 1, Jesus stepped into the boat. Listen. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Fourth destination. You come to your own. A place where you belong. A place where we're born for. A place where we're destined to be sent. A place, an environment, a territory. What is ours? Jesus came to his own. A place where he was born. A place where he was known. A place where God's going to give him a measure of rule so he can just clear the territory. Tameside, Manchester, is our territory. And if God opens up the nations as he has been, do as, as he has been doing, God will give us more and more territory. Yes? But that's the next stage where we come because the moment we stepped into a Gadarean's territory last week, George gets healed. Now, can you imagine if we keep moving, keep stepping, laying hands on the sick, the sick will be well. Cast out demons. That's the mandate of the kingdom. So all we did was lay hands on the sick and he got healed. I'm trusting this morning, there's the same hands that laid hands on uh, George and now is laid on Pat. Pat will have a testimony. You know, there is, I don't know if many of you ever heard of a man called Lester Summerall. Lester Summerall was an American preacher. He's dead now, bless him. But he was the spiritual father of Tundi Bakary, who speaks, who was a good friend of my spiritual father, Jonathan David. And, to, and Lester Summerall was in the Philippines, in Manila. And there was a girl there, and she was a national phenomena. She was a demonic, crazed girl who was in the prison. And she was known by everyone. This was probably in the 60s, maybe 50s. No, 50s. I forget her name now, like Cyrus or something like that. Anyway, and they'd had every, they put, in fact, they, she was so demonically oppressed that demons would attack her at night and be biting her flesh. She was a mess. And there was, you can't bite yourself up here, can you? Can't do that. You can bite yourself there, self-harm, but you can't do it up here. And demons would come in and attack her. And she was so violent that she would literally kill people in the prison. So the warden was completely freaked by this. So they put a, an SOS out to everybody. Who can come in and help this girl? Well, every kind of witchcraft came into the prison so demons were meeting demons yeah hi boys how are we doing yeah it's good so eventually Lester's praying and God says to him I want you to go to the prison okay Lord he sure I'm sure go so he contacts the prison he says I'm going so when he goes they says to him okay that's good but we're letting you know the TV cameras will be in there the Prime Minister will be in there. The psychologist will be in there. Every other ologist will be in there because we want to see what you've got to offer. Because everybody else has been in. So let's see what you've got to offer. So he's going into the Gadarenes' territory. Right? He opens the door. Cameras are rolling. Action. He just steps into the cell and the demon screams and says, Don't take me. Now... What you don't know, and I didn't know, is he'd tried to build a college in that nation. And he could not get planning permission. He wanted to establish a school of ministry in Manila. So God tells him to go. He goes in, casts the demon out. The prime minister says, what can we do for you? He said, I need some land done, stamped. So a Gadarean was blocking the territory. College, we needed a college in Manila. 
right? A school of ministry in Manila, but the Manila, what do you call them? The Manilians, what do you call them? The Filipinos were blocking him and wouldn't give him plenty of permission. So it takes a Gadarean to be knocked out and everyone sees, be amazed, to open up the, say, you know what? What do you want? Gum, stamped, it's done. This day you have a college. That's how God works. When we go into the Gadarenes' territory, it's because God has an agenda. There are things that we need to do in our territory that God will lay in our hearts, right? There are buildings we need to acquire. There are people we need to, uh, to enlist. There are people that need to be enlisted and trained in our discipleship. All these are filled with Gadareans in the territory. But if you can't rise up and take authority over what's plaguing you now, then you have no part in that territory. You have no advancement in that territory. Yeah? Do you understand that? It's all right hearing great stories how somebody else did it. It's not time for somebody else. It's time for you to do it. Yeah? So in Matthew 9, 6, he says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, as soon as he gets on the other side and he knocks the gadarene out of the way, he heals a paralytic man. Yes? He heals a paralytic man. But he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, go home. And the man got up, went home, and when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. So now what's, what's filling the territory now? Awe. God is now in heaven, is now invading the same territory that the, Demo the, the uh, Gadareans were. At one point, there was fear in that territory because of those Gadareans. Now Jesus steps in, gets those boys out, goes straight to his own town, Heals a paralytic and the atmosphere is now filled with a sense of awe. Everything's changed because Jesus did what he needs to do. That same authority is in you. Now, right now, there's a sense of awe in George. Or it should be. Why? Because now, as we pushed through last week, he's now got a breakthrough. But there's more like him. There's millions we got them in here. Sick. Never mind out there. They were filled up. Listen. They were filled with awe and they praised God. So what frequency now is operating? Now the frequency as polarite is causing everyone to now praise. They've all been tuned to heaven now. Because the Gadarenes have been knocked out of the way. See when the Gadarenes operating, the frequency is called fear. It's the key of F, fear. But now we've, God has connected them, and now they're connected to the key of G, God. And the key of, key of H, there is no key of H, but key of H is heaven. Amen? They prayed to God who had given such authority to men. Wow. Last week when we were praying, I distinctly saw that this it's the journey we're making. We got in the boat. We crossed over. Now we're coming to the, the territory of the Gadareans. We've got to fight this, this uh, sickness so we can establish the frequency of heaven and with that frequency, move you into another dimension. Amen? People are emotionally, physiologically, psychologically, spiritually in a mess. Why? Because they've been touching things, doing things they shouldn't have. You sure? You're damn right I am. You know, there was a, a man that used to come to this church many years ago. And this is where I first learned the principle. Listen to what I'm going to say. And I'm not striking fear into you by saying this. I'm just helping you to see something. This guy was plagued. I could see he was plagued with sickness. And I went to him one day and I said... You're plagued and you're totally defenseless. 
Every time this comes upon you, you're totally taken out and you're defenseless. Let me come and help you and put some tactics into you so you can stand and resist what's coming against you. No. No, never happened. Six months later, we were burying him. When the Gadarene comes to your territory, it's okay for me to see it and go for it and try and help you to defend your own territory. But if you haven't got any resistance inside you to push him out, then what good's me? You've got to have some, something inside you. Because the Bible clearly says, if you sweep a house clean and don't keep it clean, it'll come back in seven more. And I'm not saying that we're possessed. What I'm saying is, if I drive something out and we don't put something in, I was trying to drive it out and put something in so we could guard his territory. Six months later, gone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a very fundamental question comes to us from Judges chapter 16, verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Great question, Delilah. Great question. Samson's got strength. She knows he's got strength. But she wants to know the secret of how she can subdue him and take his strength away. Hmm. The kingdom of God wants to come and add consistently continually wants to come and add strength so that you don't get subdued, that you don't become overcome, that you're not weak. But when you are weak, the Bible says you become strong. Why? Because the one who is in you is stronger and he's able. Right. But here, this demonic voice in Delilah wants to weaken, subdue, and have dominion over him. Hello? Some of you get involved in wrong relationships. That's exactly what's going to happen. Now, when I say the word Delilah, we'll use that in a male and female term. Let's not just use it in a female term. So if male is connected to the wrong woman, woman's connected to the wrong, uh, vice versa, I should say. I've got myself mixed up there. A Delilah potentially wants to know the secrets because it's demonically driven, it will seek to subdue you. The Bible is very clear about marrying the right person for the right destiny. Hello? Not just marrying someone you're attracted to, but marrying someone for destiny. Not just for partnership. The partnership is for destiny. Marriage is not just for partnership. Marriage is for partnership leading to destiny. So important. We just love each other. And how long will that last? What happens when you don't like her? And she don't like you. You're still told to love her then. Ah, but I don't feel love now. I'm married to this lady because our destiny is together. We're serving God in his kingdom for his purpose. I can't do it without Carol. She knows there's many days when she don't like me. It's true. I'm not easy to live with. <laughs> no one say amen there. Because you don't know, only she can say amen. But I love her all the same. 31 years. It's good going. So she says, and I say to Carol, tell me your secret. How do you love me all these years? Because if we argue and we knock, on, knock each other on the head, guess what we're doing? We are weakening each other, subduing each other. We're killing ourselves. We're killing our own relationship. We're killing our own destiny. So we have to know when there's a gathering in our own territory. Yeah? We have to know. Marriage has to know. Gadareans get into our territory in marriage. And that's why 
Whenever a Gadarene's in a marriage, it'll always split. Because it, the kingdom of darkness wants to divide and separate and conquer and subdue. Yes? The kingdom of heaven, you've got to know that when a Gadarene's in your territory, sometimes I don't call Carol the Gadarene. It's not healthy to call your wife a Gadarene. She's called Carol. But if I know flesh and blood, I know Gadareans use flesh and blood. And it uses me. But if I'm smart enough, I've got to say, you know what? We don't deal with this right now. I wait until the Gadareans not looking. Then we go in. Then we talk. Then we get, when love comes in, the Gadareans gone. Yeah? But Delilah said, tell me the secret. There's a secret in every one of us leading to our strength and our downfall. God knows. Do you know what makes you strong? You see, Jesus, think of this. When Jesus was being beaten by the Roman guards, was Jesus defenseless? No. All that was happening to him, he was allowing it. They never once overpowered him. Everything that happened to him was for a purpose. And he allowed it. At any time, he could have commanded angels to come and deliver him. Flesh and blood's not a problem to Jesus. But this has happened so the glory of God could be seen and the, and the prophetic word will be fulfilled. He told, what, he told them what would happen. And what did he say? If the rulers would have understood it, they would not have crucified him. But he lets them think that they're the one in control. Guys, never let your wife think she's in control. Seriously, hear what I'm saying? Know what authority is in the house. If you're kidding and letting her, that's wrong. Because it'll always be taken to the extreme. Then you're in trouble. Know the boundaries. Know what authority you both have. Know the boundaries so you don't go beyond. Well, my wife's the boss because she says she is. Because I let her. I let her think. You fool. She is the boss. Because you know you don't want to deal with it to address the balance. Like I say, special kind of stupid. When Jesus was on the cross, he was in the strongest position he ever could be. Why? He was in the center of his father's will. You can't get any stronger than that. But it looks to what, in one sense that they've overpowered him. But he hasn't. He's always got the upper hand. Wow. Luke 10, 17 says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like the lightning from heaven. I've given you, church, authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice your names are written in heaven. That's where our strength is. Not in overcoming demons. That's just, he's given us authority to do that. But we're not majoring on that. We carry the Christ into the territory. Not that, that we, can, we can overcome demons. Christ overcame demons, not you. He did it, not you. Last week, Tumba Catley did not heal anyone. And if Pat gets healed this morning, no one healed Pat. Christ did it. Our job was to lay hands on the sick. What's our, it's called the finished work of Christ. We're just applying what has been finished. The problem is when you think you can heal people. Yeah? The thief comes to steal. That's what the Bible says. Kill, steal, and destroy. Delilah. She came to kill, steal, and destroy Samson. 
Did she not? But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So let me give you two scriptures, then we're finished. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. <laughs> Do you know how you can be subdued? Personally, in your own life, do you know your weaknesses? Are you aware of your own weaknesses? Right. There's the secret being revealed to you. So it's not a secret, is it? It's known to you. But there are always areas in your life where you didn't know. Something comes across. It's amazing. Say, for instance, you, you, you're with some guys one night and they go, say, let's go to the casino. You've never gambled in your life. You think, I'll just watch. Stand here. I'm not doing it. I'll put a pound in. Okay. Pound becomes two pound. It's an avenue you never thought you could be caught in. And all of a sudden, boom. They're always there. There's the known and the unknown. Yeah? Tell me the secret of your strength. So I want to subdue you. It's amazing. Delilah's there. Your own wife can do it. Your own husband can do it. With his words, his actions. If I keep telling Carol she's no good, what am I doing? I'm subduing her. I'm killing her. I'm killing her softly with my words. Do you remember that song? Killing me softly with his love. I'm doing it to my own partner. I'm subduing her. She cries, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. I'm the Philistine. Yeah? So in Judges chapter 14, 12, she says, let, uh, let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If anyone can give me an answer with the seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 set of clothes. If you can tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and, set, and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us the riddle, they said. Let us hear it. Now watch the woman go crazy. Watch the gathering in the relationship. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us. So there's a gadarene outside the gadarene. And we will burn you and your father's household to death, which is fear. Okay? Do you invite her? And then he says, then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. Right? Like she's now operating in true sincerity. You give me my, you give me my people, sorry, you give my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? You see, the wife opens a door to fear and manipulation. Now she's using a different spirit. Fear's driving her, right? Fear's driving her and a spirit is attaching it. Where does fear come from? The enemy. It's a spirit. So there's a spirit operating inside. She cried for seven days. Now, blokes, I love my wife. Seven days nagging, I'm going to kill her. You get a man, you get a woman nagging at you for seven days, it's going to, weep, it's going to grind you down. You're going to say, yeah, honey, have the car, have the boat, have everything, go. Just give me peace. Why do I say that? Because Proverbs 27, 15 says, a quarrelsome wife... He's like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Didn't say about the blokes, darling. It said the wife. I'm only reading what he said. Restrain her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. In other words, she's going to grind you down. She's going to grind you down. So ladies, be mindful of that. Every time you're moaning, just be careful that you don't open the door to something that shouldn't be there. See, Delilah was an Old Testament version of Judas. She sold herself for 100 shekels. 100 shekels. Judas did it for 30 pieces of silver. She did it for 100 shekels to get into Samson's life to reveal his weakness to the Philistines. She brought the man down. Judas didn't bring God down. It only looked like it. 
Judas was a pawn in God's hand. Yes? So pick it up, 16, verse 4, we're finishing. Sometime later, he fell in love with another woman. This now, this time it's Delilah. The Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we might tie him up and subdue him. Why? Because he's the strongest man on the earth. He can take out a thousand Philistines. That's a strong man. Yeah? So tell us how we can tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how I can and you can be tied up and subdued. Verse 7, Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried and she tied him up with them, with, with, with men hidden in the room. What's the other fellas doing in the room? This woman's got fellas everywhere. She called him, Samson, Samson. The Philistines are upon us. But then he snapped out, and so easily, and he, and he snapped something. And when it came too close to the flame, so the secret of his strength was not discovered. But Samson didn't understand. He'd been duped by a woman. Right? Samson was seized by the Philistines. Look what happens when the gathering gets in your territory. False things come into your life. Appear in real. Hello? You're seized by a Philistine, which is another metaphor for the Gadarean. You're bound in chains and your eyes are gouged out. Samson has, now has a glorious end. He has, no, he, he has to wait for the last minute of his life to get a good end when he could have lived all his life with strength. Yeah? Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had, he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers, to the Philistines, and came back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands, having put, them in a um, having put him to sleep on her lap, so she's got the power to charm him. How do you fall asleep on, the, on, on, on this girl's lap? This girl must have had some seduction going on. Yeah? Maybe that's when, I've not learned that one yet, darling, falling asleep on your lap. And she called a man to shave off his seven braids of his hair. And so he began to subdue him and his strength left him. I'm thinking, why didn't he wake up? Someone's shaving your napper there and you think, you think you'd wake up, wouldn't you? <laughs> hey, he's getting a haircut in the midst. Of what she must have charmed him. Good. So then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself in. Here we're coming to the... The major point. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There's a point when you let the Gadarene into your territory, God leaves. He did not know that the Gadarene had left him. That God had left him. Are you so desensitized now to the moving of the Holy Spirit that the only Awareness you have is you respond to the Gadarene. Let's stand to our feet, please. From that moment, he was bound and he was put in prison. And, listen, his eyes were gouged out. So now he has no feelings, he has no sight. When a Gadarean gets into your territory, he blinds you. Emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, spiritually, deceives you to the point where you can't see your way out. Church, be careful. We are ready to take the offense into the Gadarene's territory don't let the Gadarene come into your territory. When he comes into your territory, you're gone. But our job as the church is to go into his territory and establish Christ. Do it in your relationship. Do it with the people you're, you know. Get your heart right. Make sure the enemy does not have entrance into your relationships.
Hello? Every man must love his wife. Every, every wife must love her husband. Must. Must. How do you do that? You need heaven's, heaven's wisdom to do that. Yeah? You need heaven's wisdom to do that. Get, trouble with Samson, he was, let's just say, he was a bit of a playboy. Lust was leading him. If you've got lust, that is a sure sign that Gadarene will follow you around all day long. The lust of the eyes, Paul talks about. The lust of the heart. Every person in here has struggled at some point with lust. But it doesn't mean to say you've got a Gadarene. Just because you've, you, was, you, you struggled with it at one point. Guard your territory. Amen? Just raise your hands if you will, please. Ask God to give you wisdom to show you the Gadarean that is trying to enter into your territory right now because it wants to know the secret of your strength. It's trying to subdue you and it will take you if you don't realize this. You must ask for heaven to be involved. You must bring heaven on earth because if you don't, your fears, insecurities, all those things will bring the Gadarean and the Gadarene will make his home with you and begin to control your life. Amen? So, Father, right now, we pray for wisdom. And the wisdom that the Bible says is, heaven is, first of all, pure. James tells us that, first of all, heaven is pure. So we call down for heaven's pure wisdom into our lives. Father, we will establish the kingdom of heaven. We're getting out the boat. We are going to take the offensive. We are going to drive the gathering out of our territory. Heaven will come on the earth. People will get healed. The sick will get healed. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. Demons will cry out. Territories will be taken. The church will be established. But, oh God, do it in us. Do all that in us. Deliver us, O oh God, from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah.